You're listening to the Swap Mono Live podcast show brought to you by our friends at OGO. OGO has been around for three decades, but it was in 2001 that the brand forever changed the way we think about gear bags. With never seen before features like specific storage compartments for your boots, helmets, gear, and more, the OGO 9800 is the most popular gear bag in motocross. Visit ogeopowersports.com. Welcome to the Swap Moto Podcast presented by OGO. Um, really excited today. I'm joined by uh, my buddy Jeff Ward, who is uh, was definitely one of my childhood racing heroes. And uh, it's kind of surreal to me to think that we just see each other and talk now. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> That was a long time ago then. You were probably, what, five? No, no. Hey, I was looking, I was looking you up on Wikipedia last night, and I, you're only a few years older than me, but yeah. like, I, I didn't actually get to work with you as a journalist because uh, I started at Cycle News in 1990, and mm-hmm. I got sent to uh, the Flat Track series and didn't get to cover motocross yet, but you know that was like as your career was winding down. So, right. Um, I think at a Golden State National or something, I got to interview probably. Oh, cool. That was a lot different back then, huh? Because uh, top-level guys like you would do these big local races as warm-ups and stuff. Yeah. I mean, when we first started, you know, I mean, late 70s, you know, early 80s, the CMC Golden State was like the big deal for us because mm-hmm. we weren't on the Nationals probably when I was on mini because I raced at mini bikes too, so it was big events. And um, the purse was always was always good you made good money and um so yeah we'd race you know saturday and sunday and then once i started racing the nationals or even the supercross every weekend off we'd be doing a local race and shoot we did and the beginning of the year we'd be doing them with our race works bikes that we had sent over as more of a test mm-hmm. and it wasn't even supercross because you know we were just doing outdoor stuff so our supercross season usually started the end of january so the first three or four weeks of the year we'd we'd be doing the golden state series and and uh, it was like a national. Every factory guy was was there, so it was a good test and got you kind of warmed up for the Supercross season. And yeah, we just I just loved racing. You know, when there was a weekend off, it would be either that or I I was into cycling and triathlon, so I'd be finding events that I could do and mm-hmm. in between to keep motivated on on my training program. So um, yeah, a lot of local fun stuff. Now it's not so much like that anymore. Yeah. Hey, were you at the Golden State at sunrise when it was raining? When uh, Ricky punched Ronnie in the face. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah, that was up at three. That was yeah. one of my first races I was at, where I was exposed to you guys in person. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Yeah, I don't even if I was. I don't know if I'd won or I was behind him. I can't remember. Just I just remember seeing the ruckus going on and and then hearing about that. I think it was more of an off track track situation than <laughs> boiled over than it was something that happened on the track. So. Um, yeah, back then that was just kind of the name of the game, and nobody ever got in trouble either. It was just. Yeah. Move on to the next week. It'd be a lot different now. Guys would be suspended. Yeah, yeah. Even in a local race, probably, or, you yeah. know, in the parking lot. But back then, it happened all the time. Cool. Well, hey, this week, uh, uh, the, I'm welcoming Bell Helmets in as a uh, podcast sponsor. So we did this little clip called the Bell Helmets Bench Raising. Oh, cool. So did you watch the race this weekend? Yeah, I did. Okay, so Cooper Webb. Man, it's kind of like the floodgates open with that first win. Would you agree? I mean, like the guy knows how to win races. He's managed a championship before right. and it just needed to, uh, I think you just need to get that confidence for the very first win. Yeah. I mean, um, it happened for me 
as well. I mean, I went a few, two, three, four years in Supercross, but we didn't have the lights class, so we just got thrown right into national champions yeah. and Hannah, and you know, you were just a kid trying to swim through it and find your way. And and then once you know, you get close, and then once I got that first win, I think I won four or five that year. Mm-hmm. Almost kind of the same thing. It just uh, your confidence, just mentality changes from just wondering where you're at or wanting to get on the podium to where like no matter where you're at in the track you want to win I mean the effort's going to be nothing else matters except getting to that front and winning and he's that mentality now to where it's he's not thinking about just having a good result he wants Mm -hmm. to win the race and you put yourself in good positions when you do that so he's definitely like you said he's won championships and lights he's managed them indoors and outdoors so Mm -hmm. he knows that pressure and I think now he's over that of feeling that pressure and and I think he feels that he's the guy that that's in the driver's seat and that's always a good position. Yeah. Um, when Cooper was on a, on the lights bike, he had this, you know, the confidence about him, you know, not, I wouldn't say cocky. He was just confident and you knew that he was ready to win. Um, the last two years when he was in the first, uh, first two years on the 450 on the Yamaha, you could tell he wasn't too comfortable on the bike, I think. And, uh, I think struggling with the bike hurt his confidence for sure. And have you ever been in that situation where you didn't really like the bike, but you're stuck? And what does that do to your confidence? Yeah, I mean, at Kawasaki, we, you know, it's no fun. We didn't have some of the best bikes at the time. I mean, Honda was <laughs> killing it, and Suzuki was killing it, and our bikes just really kind of sucked there for a few years. And I wasn't in the position to probably be a winning rider at that time, you know, but I was still could compete for podiums and it just wasn't helping me out mm-hmm. um so yeah it's you just kind of know your limitations and then you get hurt and then when you come back you, you don't have that confidence because you know why you got because the bike pitched you off or you mm-hmm. just and you don't even know what it really happened so you just got a lot of things swirling around in your head of not wanting it to happen again and you're not just thinking winning and mm-hmm. when you get to the position where he's at now everything just falls in place and you and you don't think anymore you just start riding and and you're having fun at the same time, but when you're on a bike that's not working, you're continually just thinking of how to make it better. Mm-hmm. What can I do to get up there to win? And it, you, you don't win races doing that. It has to be all, you know, working smoothly. And he's that KTM. I mean, look at one, two, three again. Mm-hmm. It's a good bike, yeah, and a good team. And when you put that all together, it's it, uh, it's a good combination. So Cooper Webb has five race wins on the year. Do you think the rest of the class is in trouble right now? I mean, he, the guy's got the momentum, he's got the red plate, and obviously he's a proven winner, so. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure Tomac, Roxon, they're all champion. They don't, they're not, nobody's, they've won championships. They've been in positions before where they've been down and they know their capabilities and what they can do. So they're not thinking like, oh, we're in trouble. What are we gonna do? They've just had some bad races and um, tracks maybe that, you know, didn't work for them, but I don't, you know, no, I don't think they're having a, a breakdown or anything. I think they're mm-hmm. still going, you know, full force and, you know, Webb's in a position now where as usually when you're leading points, as it gets closer to the end, you start thinking, oh, I can't make a big mistake. I got it. You know, you start protecting a little more and that's yeah. when you don't ride as well. Um, and then you got a guy like Tomac, that's just going to be on fire at some point. And, yeah. you know, Roxon's going to be there. Marvin's still there. So it's definitely, you know, I don't even know if we're halfway yet, but uh, it's a long way to go still to, yeah. to keep that positive. But I would I would never predicted that he would have five wins on the year. I would say he'd got a couple wins, mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I would have still said probably Tomac would would have got the most. Yeah. Um, but, but that's kind of changing. What, what, what do you think is going on with Tomac right now? He's uh, he he won in San Diego on the mud, and I thought, oh well, maybe that's the yeah momentum starter there. But uh, he hasn't looked like himself. No, that, I don't know if he's changed his way of thinking. You know, because before he always wanted to like win every. It's kind of like Stewart in a way. He wanted to be the fastest guy every lap. <clears throat> You know, wants to win every race, and I think he always put himself in bad positions a few times, and should have salvaged more positions than he did because he did something not you know a mistake bigger than the first mistake, trying to make up for it, and and would ride over his head a little bit. And this year seems like he's like, I don't want to make that big mistake and be behind, and and I think he just uh, is riding a little too conservative. And but when he has to, you've seen him even the the three moto format when he was in tenth, he thought there was no way and. 12 minutes he's going to win this thing and he did mm-hmm. he looked like the old tomac with a 20 lap race or a yeah. 20 minute race um so i don't know it's just he's been that way his whole life um he's i don't i just don't think he passes the best i mean i know the mini bikes they didn't race a lot of races just the big ones and wherever else we go to local races and and he would win everything he whole shot it but if he didn't whole shot he'd struggle a little mm-hmm. bit and i think it's still in that same mode where he has a tough time changing lines Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still gonna he's still gonna come back on. I don't think he's lost any confidence. But it's uh, there's a lot of guys going fast this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty all pretty equal guys. And at the end yeah. of the race, there's there's five six guys still together. It's not spread out like it was before. Yeah, well, you know, we always we always start the season off. Oh, this is gonna be the best season ever. You know, like so many guys that could win. And this year, the first few rounds, man, it really was like that. Um, the guy I'm waiting for to have is. Uh, his comeback win is Ken Roxon. Yeah. Um, you know, he's had those two devastating arm injuries. He's obviously shown the speed. He's been real close a couple times. Uh, what do you think is the missing little ingredient for him I don't, right now? I don't know. I don't know his limitations of what the, you know, I'm not in his camper. Really, I was close to it when I was with Cole working and, mm-hmm. and seeing a little bit, but you still really didn't know how strong he is compared to what he used to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a limitation right now still that he's not as that he's to me his riding style is a lot more precise and smoother than it was when he before he was here i mean he yeah. railed it's just amazingly like you were shocked at what he could do and now mm-hmm. it seems like he's pulled back a little bit and i don't know if that's because of the injury um but yeah he should have won a couple races this year yeah um and i think he will win um but he's like hanging in there for the championship and he's riding you know i think really good he's i mean i would think he'd have more of a chance to to win the championship than maybe even uh, Tomac just mm-hmm. because of his consistency and um, his mental game and and um, just where he's at right now. What what was the worst um, injury you suffered when you were racing, and did it affect you after that? Like like Kenny's got both of his arms have been right. mangled, and uh, do you think that that's still in his mind? And did, again, did you have an injury like? Of any, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing real bad. I mean, I've tore tore my knee, and I was like one of the first guys at CTI built a that Jim made a knee brace for. I was the first guy. I didn't want to wear one. I hated wearing anything, and I had to wear. I only wore one knee brace, my left knee, my whole career. I never wore one on the right, just Mm -hmm. because I didn't want one on the right. So that didn't. I mean, hindered me for a little bit. The the one year I hurt it, and then after that, I made it stronger than it was before. So I never had an issue, and. Um, but nothing, I mean, I broke my tailbone and, you know, of course, ribs and collarbones and elbows and stuff, but nothing that like once it healed up, it was, 
limitations wise. My last year, I had a shoulder problem. Um, it was kept popping, not popping out, but it would go up and it wouldn't come back down because the bone would go flop over. And mm-hmm. so I had to have surgery before the end of Supercross to clean that up and get it toward move properly. And then I raced the half of the 250 nationals and then the 500 was my last year. So, mm-hmm. um, that was hurting me for a little bit. And, uh, but nothing that I was scared of, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, I don't want to get hurt again, that never popped in. Mm-hmm to the mind but like I said I don't know he had a serious injuries and the limitations of having compartment syndrome and you don't know what muscle died and what movement left him and strength wise so mm-hmm. um, but to come back from from that injuries right back on top again so cool well hey that wraps up the uh, bell helmet bench race uh, session we're going to take a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors but when we get back uh, we're going to talk about Wardy's career For over six decades, Scott Motorsports has pushed the limits of innovation, providing our customers with the most advanced technology available. Scott is honored to be the exclusive eyewear sponsor of the Swap Moto Live podcast. Athletes such as Chad Reed, Justin Barja, and myself, Adam Ciantrillo, require the best performance, which is why we choose the Scott Prospect Goggle. Recognized as the number one goggle in racing, Scott is proud to be made in the USA. Check out scott-sports.com to see their complete line of high-performance goggles. Hey, what's up, guys? Malcolm Stewart. This offseason, I've been training harder than ever getting ready for 2019, and I've been using Rhino Power supplements before, during, and after my training and has made a big difference, especially the motivation pills. Use Swap Moto as your discount code at checkout for 10% off your purchase plus free shipping on rhinopower.com. Hey guys, Hunter Lawrence here. Lately I've been spending a whole lot of time at the mountain bike trails in the local area on my intense primer and the thing's badass. For how good it is going up the hill, it's uh, amazing coming down the hill. It's uh, comfortable, nimble and it doesn't feel uh, like you're going to go over the bars every five seconds. Uh, All their bikes in their lineup are awesome. So yeah, you're ready to get serious about training on a cross country bike or crushing lap times at your local trails or if you want to go a bit further longer and faster they they just brought out a new taser e-bike which is uh, yeah everyone's given the double thumbs up on so head down to your local intense dealer or, or purchase uh, directly at intensecycles.com check it out guys hi uh i'm mitch payton from monster energy pro circuit kawasaki team and uh just want to give a shout out to throttle syndicate um it's a new name but it's the same company that's been around for uh 30 years. We've been with them since the very beginning in 1991 and they're a big part of why our bikes always look the way they do. We're really proud to have them involved and hopefully they have a good year. Visit ThrottleSyndicate.com to view the full range of customizable graphic kits, gripper seat covers, sticker kits and more. Use promo code SWATMOTOLIVE at checkout for a 20% discount off your order. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, Being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Life podcast for additional discounts in the shop. What's up, Swap Moto fans? The Toyota Escondido Action Sports Team supports some of the biggest racers in the sport, like Aaron Plessinger, Shane McElrath, Dean Wilson, 
Axel Hodges, Colt Nichols, Brian Deegan, and more. With over two decades of supporting racers, we've become known as the place to buy a Toyota truck in Southern California. Toyota Escondido is a proud sponsor of the Swap Moto Live Show, and all you have to do to get the best deal on a quality Toyota truck is mention the show and tell them you want the Action Sports Special. Check us out online at toyotaescondido.com for more. Hey, welcome back to the Swap Moto Live podcast presented by OGO. I'm joined by Jeff Ward. Is it seven-time national and Supercross? Yeah, motocross champion? five outdoors and two Supercross, yeah. That's gnarly. So, so, looking back at your career, is there one championship that stands out above the rest? Hmm. Um, I mean, there's a couple of them. I mean, I re- the first one, of course, the 125 was tough because I was I didn't win right off the bat. I mean, I was there for five years, racing 125s, and I got second, third. So getting that one was probably the biggest monkey off the back, um, <laughs> just to get that out of the way, and and um, so it was pretty gratifying. But um, and then the first Supercross the next year in '85, but the two first ones were good. And then but then after that, it was probably getting the 500 to. Con- to be the first rider to win every class, 125, 250, yeah. Supercross, and 500. So um, that was really cool. But I mean, they're all just in different ways. There's different things during the year with injuries. I mean, I won the Supercross championship in 87 with the third race. I broke my ankle mm-hmm. and then had to have surgery. And, you know, I still won the Supercross that year. And we had nationals in between the Supercrosses. So I'd have to go race a national and then come back. And so it was a tough year to get through. Mm-hmm. with with my ankle and um so yeah those those ones are gratifying because you could easily have just said, i'm gonna miss a race i mean i raced two races with it broken till i could have surgery mm-hmm. and then when they did surgery on it they went to drill and screw and it shattered so they had to take all the bones out and then i had to go race the national the next weekend and wow. um against rj and and then come back and try to you know finish out the supercross season. How, how did you race the national the broken ankle did you just Tape the shit out Taped of it? Taped it up, yeah. Like when I, I do therapy all week up in Pasadena, I just stay at the, the facility there 24-7 from Monday till I'd fly out Friday. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Spencer would wrap it up before I'd leave for like a cast. And yeah. then I'd just fly with it like that and race with it. Did you did you have a special boot or anything, like a brand new boot so it was extra stiff? No, I still had those tennis shoes, Cinesalo boots <laughs> that I wore <laughs> that were probably 90% of my ankle problems. Um until I finally got a boot that was strong enough that that was pre-axo then, right? Yeah, it was yeah. pre-axo. Then when I got the axo boots, it had a more had a steel shank in the sole. I don't think I had a steel. My, I mean, ten, it would bend over the foot peg, and yeah, so that was a lot of the problem. But um, yeah, I went just that was you know stuff like that was always uh, um, gratifying to to win mm-hmm. with an injury and just not giving up. You know, yeah. of, I mean, it was just there was just different today. I mean, we I'd spend weeks like like I said in in the doctor's office just to get to the next race and not Mm -hmm. ride at all and tape it up and get it shot up and then come back and do it again and it was kind of uh you know it was terrible times but this is something you had to do so stories like that make me think that guys today might be soft (laughs) what are your thoughts yeah we had to ride we had to win bonuses (laughs) to make money you know I mean we got paid okay but our bonuses are what we lived off of so (laughs) um just the mentality of wanting to win was just, that was enough. Um, you know, like I said, I'd fly home and grab an ice chest and put food in it and drive up to Pasadena and go in the doctor's office and camp. Mm-hmm. I had a shower there, so I'd just stay on the ultrasound machine and the diotherm 24-7 and eat and, and fly home 
fly yeah. out that Friday from up there and go out. So did it for many weeks trying to just to make it to the next race. So, yeah. uh, and then a lot of the times I wasn't even the, the hunt for the championship. Mm-hmm. It was just to go there and try to win, you know? So it was, uh, just because probably I didn't want Ricky winning so bad that I'd have to show up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was just different time. I mean, I don't know I wouldn't call him soft cause these guys are tough. Yeah. Um, it was just a different mentality back then, I think. And it was just, we really had to race to, to win, to make the, the, the living that we wanted to, mm-hmm. to make and secure, you know, a contract, a, a better contract for the next year. Okay. So you have two 500 national championships. Mm-hmm. The 500 nationals are obviously a thing of the past, but were they as brutal as like, I remember them or, or people would imagine them to be, I mean, a 500 is no joke. You know, I know 450s are fast these days, but you can ride a 450 hard and you had to really respect a 500, right? I mean, yeah, they were, I mean, I think they're still faster than a, the 450, like top end speed. I mean, I rode yeah. one at uh, Mammoth a few years back against the 450s and I hole shot it by like 20 yards, <laughs> but you didn't want to go straight very well. You yeah. know, I mean, that was on a Honda, a service Honda, actually. It was a perimeter frame with a vibe. I was done in two laps because of vibration. <laughs> My Kawasaki was a good bike. I mean, it wanted to go straight. It was a good desert bike. It, yeah. it was good for years and it had a great power band once we fixed it all up. So, um, yeah, they were kind of violent in a way. I mean, if you tried to ride it hard, it would it'd put you down. But mm-hmm. if you, you know, listened to it and picked lines and were smooth and and um, were strong, then, yeah, it was, a, it was a good bike to ride. But, I mean, anybody that would get on one right now and go ride it would probably hate it because mm-hmm. it was hard. It's hard to ride. It's either, you know, on or off and the wheel spin and yeah the how fast they swap and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a difficult bike to ride for sure so um how how uh how good were your factory 500s because i mean the production rule was in full effect by then so like i mean I, how much better was a factory 500 than the stock one i mean i rate i mean because I, I raced the factory the 500s on like 83 i did uh carlsbad on mm-hmm. one uh, the donations we were allowed to ride factory bikes mm-hmm. even you know past the production role on our side because they were still factory stuff but um there was not a lot of difference really um in the factory stuff i mean maybe the swing arm but then the production swing arms were made kind of similar to that and mm-hmm. the frames weren't really different they were still the same frame really as our factory bike um suspension was always the same and triple clamps and we just change the motor that we, you know, different cranks and heavier flywheel and stuff that you could do to a production motor. So really mm-hmm. the only difference was maybe like aluminum tank, you know, that you could have on the factory bike and mm-hmm. to the plastic and more comfort features than maybe the production bike had. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really notice any difference from the factory bike to the yeah. 500 bike. Do you have any stories about the 500 nationals? Like, uh, like, did you ever do anything extra to prepare for the roost or? No, most, a lot of time I didn't wear a chest protector. I mean, I had open face. <laughs> so yeah. um, made my whole shot desire a lot more. Wanted yeah. to get a start, but uh, um, not, I mean, I just, I put on some more weight because it was always in the middle of summer um, mm-hmm. just for, uh, and some smart, you know, just strength just for the 500. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I kind of trained for in that and helped me out in other areas. But um, other than that, not too much uh, different preparation really? for it. No, just... So you raced with the open face and the 500 nationals. Yeah. Like with a face mask though, right? Jofa or, or a face, Scott. Yeah. Or I went and went run it all. <laughs> just, 
So, yeah, they threw a good roast. That's what yeah. you got behind Magoo or somebody that at Binghamton or somewhere that was just a rock yeah. field. Yeah, we, I'd be bruised big time, but I just didn't like chest protection. I won quite a few times at like uh, Washougal and some tracks that you just couldn't get away from the roost. Mm-hmm. Like, but if he went to Millville, I went and went at Millville just because it's kind of sand and you could take different lines and not follow. Mm-hmm. But some tracks like Washougal was just kind of like rounding fast corners and straight up hills that you just couldn't get away and you had mm-hmm. you just had to wear one. But um, never any finger guards or anything. So. Yeah. You're one of the last open face helmet holdouts. I remember, I think. I think it was Transro Motocross. I did a story about the demise of the open face helmet. And I got to call you and talk mm-hmm. about that. But, but yeah, you were one of the last guys to convert to a full face. Was it just you just didn't like the full face at first, or I don't know. I, just, the- I, I wore for full face like an eighty one. I wore a bell. <clears throat> I had a bell for a while. Um, I was number twelve or something. Then I went back to, but I was with Bell mm-hmm. then. And then when I went to a show, I went to the back to the open face, mm-hmm. and then I just liked the freedom of it and. Just you know the Jofa, you could have it on there and just run it loose, and then let it fall down to where it was hanging down, and yeah. you could almost bring it back up with your chin if you needed it, and mm-hmm. just something I liked liked riding. And then um, I think I went to like almost eighty nine with the open face, and Showy had stopped even making them, so <laughs> they were like, "Dude, we don't even sell these helmets you're wearing. You know, you got to wear a full face, or you know, we're not paying you because yeah. we don't sell what you're wearing." And, so then I didn't like the look of them. And then Troy Lee, of course, took it and I kind of remolded the front yeah, to make it look. It was because it was, it was all square. square one, yeah. yeah, really ugly. And you couldn't see because the front top of it was really fat. And I'm like, I still see black over Like I see stuff, you know. And so then he designed it. And then he ended up like making pretty much Showy's helmet there for a while. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was then it was OK. I was fine with it. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the first motocross ads that made a big impact on me was a, a Oakley ad, <laughs> and it was you and Mark Barnett right. with your helmets and your Jovas and the nose piece on. Yeah, I was just like, I, I need that setup. <laughs> like I, I tricked my dad into buying me an Arai so that I could take the mouth guard off. Right, because they they bolted <laughs> off. Just so I could get the the Jofa and the nose piece like you had. Yeah, those are cool. I mean, those are good ads. I mean, Osho had one too with. Uh, with uh, who else with RJ or something, but it was a bomber and I, I think mm-hmm. in that photo and yeah, those were, they were cool looking cause it was, it was, uh, the setup was, uh, was a uh, fit like the nose piece, yeah, everything yeah. kind of fit together. It's almost together. like they collab together and make it work. Yeah. It was pretty did, cool. Did you ever take a rock to the face with that stuff on? And yeah. 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 Like, did it really broke reflect a, it? Yeah. Although the little, the Jofas. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, you feel it, but I don't think I broke a tooth. I've broken my teeth with, without one before, but, from um, roosting you in the mouth? No, from hitting the, the crossbar. crossbar with no crossbar pad on it. <laughs> we didn't run crossbar pads, so and then, oh. I had, then I had open face, so yeah, I just broke my teeth out. Yeah, did you ever race at the highest level with steel bars? Um, yeah, back when we, we Cali bikes used to come with steel bar factory yeah. bikes. They were terrible, the bars, but because <laughs> rentals didn't come out until no, we ran shitty bars forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because they'd bend, like when you'd, you'd they'd, crash, they'd, they'd bend. bend. Yeah, they wouldn't come back. So they just, like, you, you see pictures of Magoo with the bar down, <laughs> like this riding, you know, for the whole moto. And, and yeah. Barnett did it one year at, at Whitney. He, that's my first national win was there in 80, 82 at Whitney. And I got, I think I won the first moto. He may have got second. And then I was uh, leading the second moto or in second. I didn't have to win it. But Barnett went down the first turn. And um, you can see him. There's a picture of him. He's got no goggles on. 
and then his, his left uh, bar is down, <laughs> like almost to the gas tank. Yeah. And he ended up almost catching me in that wow. moto. I mean, just like an animal. So, um, yeah, the bars didn't come back once they bent. They just kind of folded. And yeah. But, do, you, do you ever uh, like go ride on a modern bike now and think about just the simple things that modern riders take for granted, like the wide foot pegs and the aluminum bars. It's like you were racing on these like little yeah, like popsicle pegs. sticks. Yeah. So now you go look at one of our old bikes and you're just like, why didn't we think of making fatter pegs so our <laughs> boots didn't just fold over these little yeah. pegs and just every yeah, you see little things that you're just like, why is our clutch lever out like five inches where you can't reach yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It can invade one, you know. So yeah, there's just things that evolved but back when you rode you didn't even you know it wasn't bothering you yeah. i mean but now yeah now i ride you know the, you know the new 450s so but yeah there's the comfort preachers are definitely better and everything works better so yeah it makes it easier uh one of the one of the days that stands out to me uh i was at troy lee designs in the warehouse or not the warehouse the showroom hanging out and that was when they had several of your bikes on display there your works cowies and I came around the corner and you're like, hey, Don, <laughs> you, you happen to be there. And I remember you went through the bikes and told me, yeah, oh, that one was sick because of this. And this one was no good because of that. Right. Um, that was that was an awesome day for me. But like some of the things you're telling me was like, oh, this bike was real slow and I had to ride extra hard on it. And then I remember one of them had an aluminum tank and I was like, oh, that looks like a ball buster. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. They had some bad stuff when the, the factories were building stuff in japan it was just we'd get stuff and just shake our head like i don't know who's riding this but you can't ride it so then we eventually started going over to japan and, and building the bikes kind of and testing them before they'd come over because once they'd send them it was so far beyond getting them fixed that we were just screwed you know mm -hmm. so it's like now we're going over in november and we'll do the testing and which sucked because we had to i was over there for like five weeks out mm -hmm. of a year for like six years seven years just going over there but Japan's super cool. I mean, it's one of my favorite places to go. So mm -hmm. I really loved it going over there. But it was just a lot of work, extra work. But we had to do it because the yeah. riders just weren't up to our capability yeah, yeah. of building the bikes out. And I mean, I'd get we'd we'd get the five hundreds over when I was racing, like for GPS, and I'd go test them and um, Saddleback. And I had my triple clamp snap off twice, once on the downhill at Carlsbad. <laughs> So I'm, you know, the big jump at Carlsbad going down the hill. Yeah. It's like fourth gear wide open, and yeah. I launched off that. And I landed the fork snapped off. And I just cartwheeled forever and then I did it again. And, you know, it's just like now we're and the linkage would break. And, you know, oh, it's man. just so many things that were going on. It's like, what are these guys? Were they testing it on flat pavement? Yeah. You know, so they didn't realize how hard we jumped and what we did till we went over there and raced them one mm -hmm. year in a GP and, you know, lapped their champion and launched things that they'd never jumped. And then they finally figured out, like, <laughs> we better get them over here. Definitely. So, so the, uh, the works bike wasn't always what you dream it would be. No, it took it took a lot of work to get it because everything was just handmade and yeah, you know I don't think computers were even there was nothing to build it and see what you needed to make it to make it strong enough to take whatever pressure or G's it was gonna land on and mm -hmm. it was just trial and error like yeah we think this is thick enough and like the the Unitrack system when we called it the dog bone because it looked like a dog bone with the you know you yeah. could adjust it yeah. And, you know, the, the threads of that thing would, if you did it too far, would all, I mean, they just snap off. <laughs> it's like, who thought this up? Yeah. You know, and we'd just snap it in a day and it'd be like, it's not going to work. And then they'd refix it. And um, so, yeah, I don't, it was just 
a lot of trial and error of trying things and weird things and when we even tried one of those front fork, you know, like the Coster head with the suspension that was like an A-frame oh, with the shock in it. Rebe or something? I don't know what, yeah. so anti-dive, so when you yeah. got on the front brake, it <laughs> wouldn't dive the front end. And that was all great and everything, except that most of your power came because your front end went down to get grip. It was yeah. just like, one just, you know, so we tested that and just weird stuff that they'd come up with that yeah. was, uh, didn't work. What was the worst works bike? That you had to deal with? Um, it was probably my 125 and like, I don't know if it was 81 or 80. It was just, it was one the, when they first came out with the fender on the back. The number plate? Number plate. I mean, the number plate on the back fender. And we had a reservoir for the shock that was like three times the size of the silencer of the bike. Um, it weighed, the, the weight limit for 125 then was 176 pounds. Mm -hmm. Barnett's bike was like 177. The Suzuki, when he was just dominating, mine rolled through at like 214. <laughs> so like that was, but I whole shot, it was the fast, one of the fastest bikes, yeah. but it wouldn't handle, it wouldn't turn, it wouldn't do anything, it would just whole shot. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was terrible. It was worst bike that you could, that you could build for yeah. a motocross bike. Hey, when it came out, did you guys think the, the round number plates on the rear fender was cool or back then were you like, that's lame? It was just another lame thing that the factory <laughs> did in Japan that, that they wouldn't change. Yeah. You know, the bikes, like I said, the bike was built. It came over and it was done. It was like no chance of change. It was, we never, they never send anything to say, here's what it looks like. And we were just always excited to see what showed up at the factory with, you know, and the works bikes come in a crate and you'd undo it. And you're like, oh shit, that's bitch. You know, this one was just like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> And then they had the number plate on the front that was like the size of a billboard that yeah. was like 18 inches wide and their numbers were like 10 inches tall. Yeah, it was, the, score, the score tower could have been on the moon. Well, because they didn't have, you know, they had to write down numbers. So yeah. it was like you needed, they wanted bigger plates so the spectators could see them. And yeah, it was just a weird deal. Okay. What was the best works bike? Uh, 85, my 250, the mm -hmm. 250, when I won the outdoor and the supercross. And my 125 and 84 was like the same in the same era of making the works bikes before they went to production. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of suck because Kawasaki was always behind on everything. We were the last people to get disc brakes. We were the last people to get water cooled. We were the last people to get, you know, single shot. It was always, we were always the last t factory to get what everybody else would build uh -huh. first. So about 85 when our bikes just caught up to like, we have the probably one of the best bikes, if not at least it's equal mm -hmm. to Honda. Then they go to production rule. And then of course we have the worst production bike out <laughs> at that time. So then the next year I get a piece of crap that we have to start over again. And, and it was just a tough, you know, but I'm glad I, you know, I could, I had a couple opportunities to go to Honda. I mean, I went down there and sat with them and talked mm -hmm. with them. And the year be, after my 125 year before, before 85, when I won the two championships, Roger called me in. And, um, so I thought I was going to ride for Honda for sure. And, um, so went in there, all the Japanese were in the meeting. I went by myself. I didn't have a manager, nobody. So I just went in to see what they had to say and everything was cool. And then Roger said, here's, you know, what we're going to pay you and this and that. And then I looked at it and I was kind of shocked and it was like less than half of what I got paid at Kawasaki. Oh. And I said, seriously. And he's like, yeah, this is what, you know, we feel. And I go, I just won a championship last year. And and here's where I get paid. You know, I'm not going to hide it. Here's where I get paid at Cowie. I'm not lying. You know, yeah. if you want the contract, I'll bring it in. And yeah. I go, I think I'm at least worth more than, than that. And they're like, well, we just, Rogers basically said, well, we just believe that you 
you know, you can't win on, you won't be able to win on anything but a Honda. And I said, okay. So then I went back and signed a three-year deal with, yeah. with Cowie and then went out and won the 250 Outdoor and the Supercross that year. So um, I could have been with Honda and who knows if I would have won more or less or, yeah, you know, I would have been team with RJ. I was, it was, I was in a good position with Cowie just because the people down there and the Japanese, they were like family and Roy and the mechanics. And so it worked real well to where it was more of a family type of feel to where Honda was such a corporate cutthroat type of deal. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that would have worked for me so much. Um, even though I trained hard, I did everything I needed to do to win. That's all I wanted to do. But still Kawasaki was just kind of more fun. Yeah, I think. And I had some, you know, good teammates. And, um, so I think it worked out good. Cool. Uh, earlier I mentioned the Oakley ad. The other ad I remember is, uh, the Cinesolo ad when you're in all white. Mm -hmm. Did it say good guys wear white or what was the tagline on that ad? I don't know. But, okay. So I remember you, you're the first guy I recall ever wearing white boots, Right. but your whole kit was white. And I was laughing because the other day on my Instagram, I ran a picture of Joey Savacci and I was like, I love his kit. Cowie guy should wear green and you commented or white or white. Yeah. But yeah <laughs> was that, uh, was that by, by your own design? Like, did you want to wear white and yeah. that was your, the idea? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I liked, I'd like the white. Um, it just seemed like I liked the white with the fluorescent green because mm -hmm. it made like Kawasaki just pop on the side and then just kept it clean. And the jersey was pretty, at the time, Cinesala was really more clean than before it got to all the flashy color stuff. It was just a Kawasaki K and a, a Kawasaki across the chest and mm -hmm. green Kawasaki down the arm and kind of went off kind of Troy's paint job, you know, more, more of just a white helmet with a couple, you know, green and blue stripes or something. So it was kind of more of like a factory look. Mm -hmm. Kind of, I mean, it was kind of more like the Suzuki because Suzuki would be all yellow with just the black S and kind of went to more of that simplicity type, type of deal instead mm -hmm. of bright green leathers and like Osho how has had the, you know, the green with the alligator and yeah, more, I just like the plain color. So yeah. I, I was more persistent. I'm like, no, nah, I just want all white, all white. with just green. And so that's kind of how it got going. Yeah. I, I remember people would go. Who would want white boots on a dirt bike? You know, yeah. you get the dirtiest part, <laughs> the part that's dragging in the ground and everything. And it's like white boots are like common now, but that's all. Yeah. Back then, were you like the first guy to wear white boots? Or? I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, maybe Osho may have. I don't know. He he might have had white gaiters over because yeah. he wore those gator things. I think they were white mm -hmm. with the Mugen on them or something. He wore white with Mugen, white yeah. and red. So, um, kind of around the same era. It was just kind of the normal kind of the hot thing going on, I think yeah. was being more plain colors. I remember when I, I talked to my dad into buying me these white JT boots, you know, they're all, all leather back then. Right. Yeah. And he was like, Strap everything. that's the dumbest thing, white boots. But I, I got to have white boots, dad. <laughs> and, uh, I remember I had like shoe polish and I'd polish them white every, right, yeah. every week after. Yeah. We didn't get a lot of boots back then. I mean, I wore, <laughs> I wore like even the helmets. I wore my same, like 85, my same helmet the whole year. Really? My, I just kept the race helmet in the, in the semi yeah. or in the, in the truck. Um, and I would just have a practice helmet at home, but, and they didn't have the liners weren't interchangeable back then. So it was at the end of the year, you could, you had, you had to get put water on the liner and the strap to be able to get it all loose. So you could <laughs> restrap it. Stiff, right? Cause after the right, yeah, it just yeah. got all stiff and hard and with sweat on it. And I just threw it in there. And then the next week I'd come back and soften it up with some water and yeah. put it back on. So it got pretty beat up at the end of the year to where, Basically, it didn't feel like it had any padding in it. Yeah. So it wasn't the safest 
helmet out there, but, um, and even the boots, I left my race boots in there would, would, wear, would wear the same boots because it was so hard to break that, the leather in to get them right. Yeah. So I just use one pair of boots all year usually. They'd be pretty beat up. What year was it that uh, Troy painted your helmet on the top said, who's bad? Um, yeah, it'd be like eight, uh, 85. I might have been the year I won. No, maybe 86 or something like that. I don't know. I'd have to look up Michael Jackson's thriller video <laughs> <laughs> when it came yeah, out. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, is it, was that a Michael Jackson <laughs> yeah. influence? Yeah. And, and was that Troy coming up with that on his own or was that your idea? That was mine. I had, uh, what else to have on that? I had Bad Medicine, which was Bon Jovi. Um, and then I had that on there. And then I think I, I might've had awesome on there one time. Cause that was like the big word back then or, <laughs> or even like, let's get physical or that song. Remember? You had that on I your think own? I had physical on there. I was like, that is so funny. <laughs> the Olivia Newton John. Olivia Newton John. Yeah. Great. Whatever it was on. Yeah. I think I had physical on there one year, but I think that was a sticker or something, but and then I had the no bozo sign when that came out. I remember so I that. had that on the back of it. So yeah, I don't know. I just put, Dumb shit on my helmet. <laughs> Do you, there was a period when uh, everyone had cartoon characters painted on their helmets. Right. Like I was teasing Johnny that he had the Cheetos. The Cheetos guy. Hat, yeah. Did you ever have a cartoon on your helmet? No. One time, one year, Troy, I put a, a big spider on the back. I think it was in like 91. It was like a, uh, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what kind of spider it was, but. The Black Widow. Probably maybe? a Black Widow. I don't know, but it didn't look like that. It didn't look like a Black Widow. So I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> no idea. And then Troy painted one with like rocks around the, look at the Fred Flintstone helmet or something. It uh -huh. was like rock, it looked like a chimney or something going around the side. And I have no idea what that was for either. Yeah. So just whatever Troy would come up with, like, you know, the design of the year, month or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it was cool. He would, he would paint on my helmet. I just tell him, do what you want to do with it. I never yeah. even cared. So aside from the who's bad helmet, the one that stands out is, uh, I think it was late in your career, but you had the helmet with just all the different numbers that you'd run Yeah, over. it was my last that year. That was cool. Yeah. That's the retirement, farewell tour. I said I was going to retire at the end of the year. Troy painted all my numbers that I had on the helmet or mm -hmm. throughout my career was on the helmet. So it kind of turned out really cool. It looked really different. You could, from a little far away, you couldn't really tell what they were because it was so colorful. And then mm -hmm. when you got up close, you could see all the, all the numbers in there. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was probably, I think that was Troy's idea. Yeah. Well, back then, I remember one of the most exciting things about the new year for me was learning the new numbers of the guys. Right. And, you know, now it's the, the semi-permanent system. What are your thoughts about the semi-permanent system and guys um, trademarking their numbers? I mean, it's good in a way because it's a brand, you know, I think, for like Reed and, you know, well, Carmichael's gone now, but at the time. And, I mean, eventually once it moves on, then you're kind of free. That number is kind of, but I, I don't know for the fans if it's, I guess it's good, but it was always cool because when you saw number three, you knew he finished like third overall last yeah, year in right? points. You know, you saw number four or five, that's how you got your number. If you mm -hmm. were number one, you got number one in the supercross and then outdoor, you know, I was the one year I was number one in supercross and then number two in outdoor cause I had the most points from both last year. So, yeah. um, and then there's other years I was number one and then number five and the, the two fifty or something. Mm -hmm. Cause I was for, I was the champion in the 500. Um, so yeah, it kind of gives the fans like when you see a guy with a number on, it's like oh, that's how he finished last year. That was yeah, a guy you with know, a low number is a good fast guy. Good fast guy, oh, you know. Well, all the guys that have a single digit are going to be fast because they had to win a championship or something to get that pick. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's mixed emotions. I mean, it's just uh, it's probably good that they have the same number every year and then they move to another manufacturer. At least you know who he is, and because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if somebody moved like Reed moved to 
I mean, he moved to, he's moved to a lot, but if he'd gone somewhere and, the, and he had number five one year and then he moved on a Yamaha and then moved to Honda and he was number eight, yeah. you'd be like, you wouldn't even know who he was for a yeah. while. And then a, a kid wouldn't probably, it would be hard for him to even figure it until, you know, he got on the podium. But now everybody that sees 22 on there knows it's Chad no matter what he's on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's good. So you obviously have a, a, a emotional connection to three. Yeah. So what year did you have three during your racing um, career? And then what made you choose three these days? Well, three X, I started in mini bikes. <clears throat> that was my, uh, when I rode for Honda. So yeah. I was number three early on for some reason. And then we went to like a race and somebody else had number three. And my dad's like, well, we'll just put an X on it. So we put an X on it. And then I ran a series and that same kid or whoever was there every week. So we just kept running three X, three X, three X. And that kind of stuck throughout my whole Honda mini bike career up till I went to the big bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with Suzuki with FMF for a while, it was 3X on that. And then and then once I got to the nationals, you know, I, I didn't get number three until 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was three in like 89 or 90. I was like three times, I think I was number three. Mm-hmm. So that was just by luck. Um, and then I was number one in the 250 and number one in the 500, but I was number three in the whatever class I didn't win in. Um, and then when I went to Supermoto, it was we went with Honda, um, and then it was like, what number? And it's like, so we went 3X because mm-hmm. I rode with Honda. When I was in factory Honda, that's what I was. So it's just kind of stuck. Okay, so speaking of Supermoto, you moved on to Supermoto after motocross. Um, you won two X Games titles and two AMA titles. Yeah. Was that a, just kind of a for fun thing, or were you just like, heck yeah, I'm second career as a supermoto racer well i did the indy cars for like 10 yeah. years from yeah. the day i retired to motocross and then uh i didn't get pushed down any cars but then at the time i was 42 mm-hmm. at the, and then you know sponsorship was a big deal and um so things weren't happening that year and then i went riding at apex uh or scott russell was out um called troy up and said come on at the apex so i got a supermoto bar up motocross bike with winning and we're like what the heck's that you know and it's like come on out so troy and i went out and i rode scott's i think ktm and I'm like and then this is fun i mean we just had a blast uh-huh. and then uh, i think mcgrath maybe came out because he had a ktm and um so then there was a race like the three days later at, at california speedway a mm-hmm. supermoto race and scott's why scott came out to do it and like what's this supermoto? i think um metzger was doing you know had mm-hmm. some local stuff i didn't even know yeah, about it yeah so then I'm like, oh, I got to get a bike. So I had to find a bike and I found a Honda. I don't even know whose it was and didn't have bar in it. We just found some wheels and, and put it on and went out there and raced. And Jeremy came out and I ended up winning. I passed Jeremy on the last lap. And, mm-hmm. and then like two weeks later, AMA decides to do a series. And then Troy's like, let's do it. Yeah. You know. So then we got Honda bikes and Jeremy was on the team and they just scrambled to put stuff together and went up to Laguna Seca was the first race and it just kind of took off and mm-hmm. from there and it had a good run for well, I don't know, like 10 years or so, yeah. eight years, just, it was great. Everybody wanted to do it. So yeah. it was a lot of fun. Okay. So is it the supermoto experience that made you slip into this flat track thing so easily? Cause I, I was at Blackmore ranch. I think the first day that you rode super or flat track, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You're on that Suzuki. You yeah, like green trailer. Kales, here. yeah, I borrowed yeah. it. Yeah, I borrowed everybody's bike. I didn't have a bike, Dude, so you were gnarly that night. <laughs> like, like I, I didn't realize it was you. And I was, I was, I think I was out there, and you passed me, and I was like, "Damn, that guy's good." And then I came in, and I was watching you, 
And I think you didn't have the whole sliding thing down yet. Right, yeah. Because you were making like... I don't even know if I had a steel shoe yet. That no, was, you didn't. That's right, yeah. You were yeah. making like eyeball shapes out of the tra- the track. You'd yeah. go in and you'd pivot at the halfway or right in the middle of right. the turns. <laughs> but you were so wide open. A couple of times you did these big wheelies out of the turn, but you looked super comfortable on it right away. Yeah, well, I raced flat track as a kid. I mean, I had a steel mm-hmm. shoe, leathers. That's what I started with was flat track and TT and... So I'm pretty used to sliding and yeah. then and motocross and 500s and all that. I mean, it's just, that's a motorcycle. It's just yeah. getting traction yeah, yeah. to the ground and supermoto, of course, slicks on dirt where it's really hard. So, and then the pavement, you would slide just like you would on dirt as a flat tracker mm-hmm. on pavement. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable on it, but I mean, last time I raced supermoto was 2009 and I hadn't really done any much riding, but I mean, mammoth mm-hmm. a few times. And I mean, I had day in the dirt last year. I hadn't ridden for two years before day in the dirt motocross mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know it just it, i don't even know how why i even went out there it was just like <laughs> it just, just got on, just well i just seen all the instagrams of everybody out there riding the flat track on the, the harleys and then the other bikes and then I, I got hooked up with uh i think um john parker that used to run for yeah i mentioned to troy maybe i'd want to do some flat john, track Yeti, Yeti, yeah john yeah parker? and he works with kale and goes to the and, and stuff and he's like oh, okay i'll help you out and uh-huh. you know you should go do then he started kind of talking to me and doing the whole series i'm like wait a minute i don't i don't want to do any miles i'm not into yeah, yeah. going 100 and something right now let me go play around and and then it's like yeah i could do tt because it's it's like supermoto it's not going to be extremely fast and mm-hmm. i've seen sturges sipes one sturges and and i go i can you know i could i should be able to do that and, mm-hmm. and have fun at least and i mean the flat track's growing and I love, I've always watched the flat track. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of committed to it a little bit and got bikes and now we're like 10 days. We'll be racing. <laughs> yeah, man. Flat track for me was, uh, you know, I, I took my job at cycle news in, in 1990. That was my first assignment, you know, and it's like Jack Mangus throws me in the flat track deep end swimming pool. You know, I'm this like flat track back then you know it's like all oh, harleys and yeah. so th- if you think about it this young japanese kid reporter with <laughs> long hair down to here yeah i didn't really fit in <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, that was the different than it is now but uh but i mean man i went and i i, I will say that one of the most exciting forms of racing i've ever seen is the mile on a, on a flat track race you know but yeah so i did it for five six years covered flat track and got to know all the guys and met some of the best friends of my life there. And, uh, I really have a lot of respect for that sport. Mm-hmm. And recently, uh, you know, KTM announced their, uh, Red Bull factory team. Yeah. And I got to go to Paris and watch that. And I mean, it's been years since I've paid attention to flat track cause I've been so engulfed in motocross, but it's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that whole singles class is really intriguing. And, uh, I guess it's called American flat track series yeah. now. Seems pretty awesome. I, I got to meet Dan Bromley yeah, and Shannon Texture. Yeah. And uh real cool cool people. And uh I'm looking forward to going to my first AFT race. I think yeah. there's one in Paris in a while, but so what exactly is your uh is your program? Are you just doing TTs or yeah, doing I'm just gonna do TTs. Um there's five of them. Um so Sturges was a big reason why I wanted to try it too. It's a big event. Um Daytona's gonna be cool. We'll go on the pavement, I think on the banking and um, yeah, just, I just don't feel comfortable with the, I mean, I could maybe do a short track, but I don't feel comfortable on half mile or mile. I've never done it. I mean, I'm sure I'd be okay, but the mistakes on that are going to be costly. 
mm-hmm. to where the flat tracking, lay it down, you know, the TT, lay it down, whatever. So, um, yeah, I just don't, I've been saying, well, maybe if I do really well at Daytona and, you know, I can go to the next race and try the, it's a short track in Atlanta and, and see how I go there and then keep going. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, that'd be, that'd be a big commitment. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. So is the race that you're doing in a, in a few days, is that an AFT race? Is that like the kickoff? Yeah. It's a Daytona at the 14th. Yeah. That's oh, the first nice. one. So it's, I'm going back, uh, this week, Wednesday to test, uh, Johnny Lewis, who runs Moto Anatomy, does a lot of schools and helps mm-hmm. flat. He's he's extremely good flat tracker. Um, he has my bike in Florida, um, mm-hmm. so he's building it. And um, so I'm just going to do that, and I'm going to the Supercross, and then I'm going to. I got the the Motorsports Hall of Fame banquet is that week there in Daytona because they mm-hmm. moved to Daytona, so I'm going to go to that, and then I'll be there for our races on the 14th. So nice. Yeah, so, it's just so, a lot of people putting it together. I mean, uh, Jeff Blackmore, the, the Blackmore yeah, rancher we yeah, practice, yeah. he's a big help in this with the bikes and and he's a big flat tracker. So he's helping out. And Troy, of course, is putting some stuff together and did the graphics. And um, so, yeah, everybody's just kind of helping out to piece it together. And that's so right. So how do you figure? OK, how old are you? Are you 50, 57, 57. How do you feel that you will fare at 57 against these guys? I, I wouldn't be surprised to see you on the box. I don't know. I mean, I've, there's fast guys out there. There's, I mean, it's a different type of racing than the ovals. If it was an oval, I'd be that not guy. I'm not getting on the box. There's, I'm going to get schooled. But with the right hander, and it's not really flat tracking. It's not backing it in. You got a front brake, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit different. You know, it's more like supermoto. Um, so um, I feel. You know, like I can, I'll be competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, and the start's going to be important. If I can get a good start, then uh, um, yeah, I should be able to run up front. I think. I mean, I'm in better shape now than I did when I ran supermoto. So uh-huh. physically, I mean, for cycling and stuff, and um, I don't know if I'm as strong bouncing off the ground as I, you know, ten years ago. But mm-hmm. I've done that a few times on the mountain bike pretty hard lately, <laughs> and and you don't have any equipment on, so I feel pretty good about not getting hurt. Hopefully, yeah. so. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. I think it'll be pretty cool. Nice. Uh, who's putting together your program for flat track? You're on a KTM, right? Yeah. Well, Johnny Lewis back in uh-huh. Florida is. I'm kind of. I have my bike out here that we've. Uh, he's he sent the suspension and uh, it's pretty much stock FMF. We got the pipe and mm-hmm. we're just probably doing some mapping with fuel and ignition. And I don't think we need a much more horsepower just because it's so much wheel spin on the dirt anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the KTM's pretty fast right out the box i mean it's got great top end low end it's a really good bike mm-hmm. um so i've been doing a lot of motocross on it so um pretty much johnny lewis is from moto anatomy is putting uh the whole bike together and i'll probably just run his bike the whole year mm-hmm. he's going to all the races with the, like a team he has um and we may even use my bike at the phoenix race or something because i can drive it over just yeah. depending on but um ktm helped out roger helped out a little bit and then chris fillmore that runs the the KTM factory team, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the re- decisions why I went with KTM is I looked at the, you know, they've won the last two years or three, you know, and either with the Huskies, won races with Shana, and mm-hmm. um, they have a good program to where if I have a problem at the track, they'll help out. And mm-hmm. some of the other manufacturers don't have the as big an effort. So um, I got to have all the advantage I can have, and that's mm-hmm. probably the best bike for it. So yeah. I saw a picture on your Instagram. You're, are you going to wear a leather suit? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's Kevlar, actually. It's not even it's leather. Kev- oh, really? Yeah, it's super light. Okay. It's like half the weight of uh, a leather suit. Yeah. So, it's back in the day when I would go to Peoria for the TT. Half the guys would race in motocross gear. Yeah. And then some guys would still wear their leathers. 
And the guys in the leathers always look real stiff out there. Yeah. And well, plus we, it was super hot at Peoria. We have to. It's mandatory now. <clears throat> oh, it is. Yeah. Or I'd, or I'd wear motocross gear. I'd, yeah. I still wear my knee braces under the leathers. And, um, and you have to wear a road race helmet. You can't wear a motocross helmet. So now you have to have the bubble helmet and yeah. the leathers. So it's... Why is that a rule? Is it because the... The visor. They, well, they used to let you read the motocross for the TT. Mm-hmm. And I think just because now maybe they're going up on the pavement, the speed. Oh. Um, well, I wrote a visor run across helmet supermoto all the time on pavement and we're yeah. going to be faster way faster on than supermoto i mean in supermoto than we are now so it said safety of like when you roll that that visor Probably will grab them, yeah. um so it's no big deal i've been running the helmet at the flat track so it's, yeah. it's so kinda, what, it's what kind of cool. helmet are you wearing it's a bell helmet a bell helmet bell star yeah kind of like what i had back when i started racing i was more a bell star yeah so yeah, back to back to that. But that's the leathers are comfortable. I mean, I, wrote, yeah. I used to wear them in supermoto practice sometimes. But um, like the X Games with that much supercross in it, you, you needed to move like a, mm-hmm. um, like you yeah, did. Didn't Troy used to make you like motocross pants with leather? It was all leather in the back, yeah. so they were pretty pretty light. And then we had the undersuit with all the pads, and he'd make those leather too, and elbow pads, and it moved pretty freely compared to a set of leathers, and mm-hmm. a lot lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but these leathers are super light and we're not going to move around as much. This is basically a, the jumps just going to be sitting down almost. It's yeah. not going to be a triple jump like the X Games was. Yeah. So I noticed your leathers have Medterra cross front row. Mm-hmm. Is that a big part of your program? Yeah. Yeah. I've been with Medterra for probably about four months now. Mm-hmm. And it's been a big attribute to my training and, 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 uh, rehab just everything i mean just to feel mm-hmm. a lot better just um so yeah it's um they're helping out and uh it should be should be cool i'm doing a lot of mountain bike stuff racing too for it and mm-hmm. yeah, so there's no uh there's no ban on cbd and flat track i don't know CBD yet advertising don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> you might show up at the race with the i've, I've got um we've already worked that out that I'm, I'm wearing a bib on it. Troy's making bibs so I can change my colors mm-hmm. and, and from each race if I want. And, um, we just have the leaf on there, like the logo mm-hmm. on that, just in case that there's a problem. Yeah. And then, but the leathers has it on the back, but it just says Medterra. It doesn't say CBD. So it might not be an issue because it doesn't say CBD. Yeah. But I don't know what the, but NBC sports, uh, you know, covers it. So I don't know the situation there. Hmm. Okay. So just run it. So the stuff's pretty awesome for mountain bike recovery and yeah. loosening up. Do you, I like the Medterra cooling the cream. cream. I put yeah. it on my knees. And oh. You feel it for hours. It's like yeah, you get a little, you'll be having your legs and you get a little breathe and you feel like the. I, I used it yesterday and did a good ride yesterday and um, definitely it relieves this. It makes the muscle just feel looser and mm-hmm. and just not as tight and and um, yeah, it's like a daily regimen for me now. It's. I take, kinda, I take a lot of stuff pretty much, but <laughs> that's the like biggest a, thing. It's kind of like the new Geritol for us old guys. Yeah, I take every advantage. I, I mean, it, what's funny is because if I would have used this stuff when I was in my prime and, you know, in like in the elite level of my training, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't notice it as much, you know, because you're at that high level. So it's hard to see the peaks and valleys. Um, but when you get our age, I mean, the, the valleys are big when you're tired because it's, <laughs> And it's hard to get out of, you know, because the body just doesn't respond as quick as it used to be. And mm-hmm. as much miles as I put in and, and the stuff, I it, this is the first thing I've used in the, since I've been, you know, for a long time. That's just made me keep up, not have the big valley and, and, mm-hmm. and recover super quickly. So, yeah, I mean, and I've 
gone for a little sometimes without using it. Just I always like to do that to see mm -hmm. where it's going to go. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just in a good spot right now. And yeah, I could eat Lucky Charms and I'd be feeling good, you know, or something. So I'm like, OK, I'm not going to take it yeah. and see what happens. And then, yeah, then I could, I could notice a big difference. Yeah. Just even getting up and my flexibility and stretching. And, and so I just got that in my routine now where it's it's like putting suntan lotion on in the morning. I'll just rub my legs and yeah. back of my neck. And it's always tired from cycling and mm -hmm. it just relieves the the stress too. Yeah. It's crazy. I've had a couple uh situations with the after putting the cream on my legs and my lower back. Like one I forgot to put my contacts yeah. on first. Oh, yeah. Even though I washed my hands good, I'll burn my eyes out. And then one time I put it on my knees and I went to go take a leak. Yeah. And I got a little bit on my man. It was <laughs> stingy. It doesn't feel cold anymore <laughs> when it's on there. But no, it's it's been great. People are uh super cool and then working with the w gym with lauchi down here mm -hmm. and uh so yeah a lot of fun just having a lot of fun stuff going on nice but also i'm doing i'm working with uh, sturges on our motocross track with mickey diamond and uh -huh. brian manley we just signed the deal with the uh, sturges with rod that we got a lease there for five years oh wow so we're building a track um at sturges starting in april mm -hmm. we're gonna have our first race at the rally in august mm -hmm. we're doing a pro purse we're putting together a fifty thousand dollar pro purse it's a weekend off between Washugal and Unadilla. So oh, okay. a lot of the guys will be driving back, especially yeah, like yeah, privateers. Yeah. And we're going to open up the track for the full week. So when they leave Washugal, it's not a long drive to get to South Dakota, mm -hmm. let them practice and then also have a race where they can Make walk away money, with yeah. 15 grand. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be looking for sponsors for that. And um, yeah, pretty excited to put that together. Try to get some Sturgis. Yeah. I was at, I was at the Sturgis rally one year and uh, I had this, Scott Parker got me this jacket. It was this cool Harley leather jacket. And I was <laughs> I was in a McDonald's and I was wearing it. And I heard these guys behind me like, hey, look at that guy's jacket. And I'm like, oh man, these guys are gonna <laughs> beat me up and take my jacket. <laughs> and they go, hey. The guy goes, hey, China guy, where'd you get that coat? <laughs> so yeah. That was my life covering flat track. Yeah, you know? I could see that. Yeah, Sturgis, Sturgis last year was my first year up there. Uh -huh. um, we went for the supermoto race, Mickey and I, and um, it's crazy. I mean, it's super cool. People are just great. I mean, they all love motorcycles. Yeah. It, it's it's so well behaved. You mm -hmm. would think it was just going to be this free for all. I mean, it's just like, I mean, the motorhomes there were like, there's thousands of them yeah and high dollar motor you know if you yeah. own a harley you gotta have some money yeah, yeah. so it, it's it was just pretty eye-opening of uh i mean they get like a million or two million people there within the two weeks and mm -hmm. we're gonna have our event on the first monday after the first weekend so we're hoping to get some different people coming in you know mm -hmm. instead of just the motor the roadside getting some motorcycle motocross people you know coming up too which i'm sure a lot of people that are there do ride motocross and motorcycles mm -hmm. so just another event for them to go watch and is the track going to be in a stadium type thing or is it? No, it's an outdoor hills? track. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. The area, I mean, it's on a hillside. Mm -hmm. It's uh, going to be all natural. Um, we're building some tabletops and things like that, but the facility, you couldn't find a better place for it. And the camping, cause they already have it, the Buffalo chip. That's mm -hmm. what it is. It's a campsite for the rally. And so, yeah, it should be a good place to put on a good, five or six races a year hmm. you know, vintage stuff um mm -hmm. so that's what we're trying i guess we're promoters now so <laughs> maybe everybody nice. it's, called, it's called dirt promotions um so yeah i mean it's that uh 
the info is at info at, I think, uh, Buffalo, I mean, at um, SturgisMX.com. Mm-hmm. We'll have all the information on there. So it just got put together about a week ago. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Getting all the equipment going and getting up there and start building. It's a little cold right now, but. Yeah. Well, hey, you've, uh, you've touched on mountain biking a couple of times in the past few minutes, but uh, you're like super gnarly on a mountain bike again. Cause like weren't you didn't ride for a while, right? Long time. And then, yeah. cause I remember where you're you were talking to me when you were getting back into it, and then next thing I know, you're smashing every day. And yeah, know. I was hurting for a while. I mean, when I did the IndyCar stint, I mean, I cycled, but just to for fun because I like cycling. But I never did anything that was stressful or hard or long little long rides. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't until about probably six years ago. Um, I went for a ride. I think Louch Johnny drugged me out with a friend. I mean, I'd been just doing some little small stuff and mm-hmm. went out with them. And of course, you know, they're going to take me on their biggest ride so that, um, yeah, I, I, was, I felt like a bulldog and heat just like dying. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, and then I, after that day, I said, I'm never going to feel like that again. Cause they were waiting for me, Yeah, you know, and I was pretty strong, but I just couldn't recover on some of the Hills. And, and then from there on, I just jumped back in and, you know, if I would have kept doing like Osho, it just I would have been I'd be in way better shape cardio. Mm-hmm. You know, just I lost a lot not doing that, but I'm, I'm you know I feel pretty good where I'm at, mm-hmm. um, and just having fun and doing picking events. I'm a little more of a, like a diesel long rider than I would be like filthy fifty. Yeah, just yeah. even longer than yeah, just stuff like that where it's not like over the hump. It's just a full on sprint. Yeah, it's just a death race of yeah. I don't like those. So that's tougher for me. Um, so I, I picked the longer ones and I did a 12 hour time trial last November on mm-hmm. the road bike, um, 217 miles. I think it was in 12 hours and that was hot and long, yeah. but I, I just kind of like that kind of race where you're more in your comfort zone, but it's more of mental than actually just, you know, blowing your heart up mm-hmm. and lungs. Uh, have you ridden with Johnny much? You, yeah. You, you ride with him. Quite yeah. We right? come out. Yeah. He's been, since he had his knee stuff, he's been kind of staying away a little bit, taking it easy and mm-hmm. doesn't want to get, you know, he's competitive. So you don't want to get suckered into doing too much too fast. So, yeah. but yeah, we've, we've usually go out a couple of times a week. We've been doing that for quite a few years. Yeah. I think a couple, a couple of years ago I was, cause I, I normally ride out in Riverside mm-hmm. Corona area, but I came out, I was at Al- Elmora and I was riding with Big E from Yoshimura and we were, there's a few of us, but we were riding up this hill and he was definitely riding on the wrong side of the trail because he was trying to talk to me. Right. And you came hauling ass around the... Oh, that turn. Yeah, turn. yeah. Dude, I saw like the complete left side of your bike and then the complete right side. And then you just went and you saved it. Yeah. But it was funny because you were like, hey, wrong wrong yeah. way. <laughs> and Piggy felt really stupid. They were going, I'm all, I'm pretty sure that was Wardy. <laughs> and then he felt even dumber, but... Yeah, we came around the inside of that corner. It's always a blind corner. We always yell out, rider up, rider up. You know, we, it's not real fast corner, but you just yeah. kind of carry and speak because it was a down, you know. And then, yeah, you you guys came around and you're like five wide yeah. on the inside and the outside. You had nowhere to go. Yeah. I just remember locking it up like completely sideways. And then I just let off like right at the last that second. That was definitely a, uh, a save I, by a skilled rider. <laughs> you know, that wasn't by chance. Yeah, and then I just kept going. I remember yelling, I'm like, get on the right side. And I kept yeah. going. And then you'd text, I go, was that you already at the, that corner? That was me. And I'm like, no way. Like I, didn't, like I didn't cuss and flip you, I turn around yeah. or something. If it was Lopes, Lopes would have came back and tried to fight you. Yeah, definitely. 
And then he would have hid something on the course and <laughs> social about it. So you ride with a pretty gnarly group of guys, right? Like Adderton. And- yeah, I got a good group of guys we go with and um, just, you know, just have fun. It's good to have a bunch of group of guys that just, you know, group text saying, Eric here, that's here, Squires is a f- phenomenal. Um, he has like every KOM there is out here. Mm, so to, yeah, to, to go with Eric is, uh, always a hard ride, even when it's neat, you know, his easy time going up a hill is you're at your max almost. So, yeah. um, that brought me along a lot. So yeah, just a good group of guys to go with and try to meet up with people on Saturday rides. And I still road ride a lot too. So that's mm-hmm. group rides there. And, but, uh, yeah, cycling is just a lot of fun. It's just, just keeps you going, keeps you fit. And I lost a lot of weight. I mean, I lost 30 pounds. From when I first started, yeah. I, I was, I wasn't out of shape, out of shape, but when you look back at it, I was out of shape. Yeah. So, Dude, I, you know, I, I really feel like mountain bike saved my life. You know, yeah. like I've lost 20 something pounds and cholesterol was high. Blood pressure was high. Blood yeah. sugar is high. And it's like all normal now. Yeah. And mostly for me, it's like the peace of mind I get from Ryan, like the clear your head. Yeah, no. When you get out there, it's uh, there's nothing better when you just start climbing hills and see the yeah. valleys, and you don't you just don't think of things that you do when you're driving down the road in your car and you know yeah. fighting traffic. So definitely. it's definitely a good getaway for. And with the e-bikes coming out, it's pretty. I I think are cool that it gets people out there that normally wouldn't mm-hmm. ride, you know, because they can't go places that we go because it takes so long to get there, and they can come with you and. Yeah, do the same ride and they've never been able to do that on a normal bike so that's cool and it's still work if you want it to be work yeah. but they can also make it home um, so yeah it's yeah, yeah, has, has Troy Lee come out with you on his Levo? yeah I went with him uh, a couple of weeks ago and Dude, stuff, so. he is all in on the e-bike thing yeah he loves it he loves it but um, yeah it's, it's funny because he wants to talk to me like going up the hill and stuff <laughs> <laughs> he's talking <laughs> It's like, dude, I'm not on an e-bike, you know. That's and he's when like, you oh yeah, shoot, I you forgot. You gotta reach over and push the down arrow on his, yeah, on his power controller. It's so fun. The flat stuff you can pull away because they're limited at the top end speed, but the hills, yeah, it's, you can't stay up with them. If they go full power, yeah, it's yeah, they're they're fun to ride. I've ridden them quite a few times. Yeah. Well, cool, Wardy. Um, man, it was it was sure a, a treat for me to get to sit down Thanks. with you and talk about this. Uh, Good luck at the at the TT race. I, I, I'm not going to be surprised at all to see you on the box. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be. I'm pretty nervous about it actually a little bit. I don't know. I've, I've ridden with a couple of the flat the flat tracker guys that came out even last week. Some couple of the kids. He's like 17, and yeah, they they rip around pretty good. But I'm just. I'm, I mean, I can stay kind of with them, and you know, I mean, my tires bald when I'm riding, but I can stay with them, and then that gives me a little bit of hope of like, okay, there's a jump, there's pavement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's not just flat track where they just know yeah. know exactly when to get on the power and how sideways the bike needs to be, and um, it'll be a little bit more in my realm. So yeah, I'm just hoping I feel comfortable right off the bat. And but what it is, what it is, you yeah, know, it doesn't matter. You know, what you do on the starting line before everybody fires up. You just look at everyone and go, "Hey, AMA Hall of Fame." <laughs> uh, I don't think they care anymore. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna care. <laughs> If I was 16, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd be looking at this old guy over there just laughing at him. But hopefully I open up some eyes maybe. But yeah. main thing is get away, get through there without getting hurt and, and just have fun. Cool. Hey, good luck, buddy. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Thank you. You've been listening to the Swap Moto Live podcast show presented by Ogio and hosted by my dad, Don Mera. Thanks for listening. <laughs>